On this episode of Twill, Fedora announces the latest release of Fedora Linux 39, Valve shocked the gaming world with a new updated Steam Deck, UbiPorts has released a new update for their Ubuntu Touch, and speaking of Ubuntu, Ubuntu has announced a technical preview that's available for the Ubuntu Core Desktop Edition that we talked about in a previous episode. All of this and so much more on this episode of This Week in Linux, your source for Linux good news. This episode of Twill is sponsored by Linbit. More on them later. The Fedora project has announced the latest release of Fedora Linux 39, and it comes with mostly updates to GNOME and various different pieces like that. And we will talk about some more specifics to Fedora later on in the topic, but first let's talk about some highlights that are for GNOME 45. So in GNOME 45, you have a new activities indicator, which is really nice because the old activities is just the word activities that opens up the overview and really does nothing else. Now it gives you a nice, clean, quick access to see what workspace you're on, as well as how many workspaces you have. So I really like that addition to the new version of GNOME. Also, there's a new webcam indicator for accessing camera through Pipewire. This is really important because let's say you have an application that you didn't know was running and it might have your, your webcam running. You wouldn't know that, but with this indicator on the, the panel telling you this, you can make sure that that does not happen, which is really cool. Also, uh, the keyboard backlight control has been added to quick settings. There's also been a new cursor set added to Fedora for the to GNOME 45, and there's a new two-tone design for Lib at Weta Apps, which look quite nice. Also, there's been performance improvements and all that, and if you'd like to learn more about GNOME 45, you will find a link to that coverage of GNOME release in the previous episode of Twill. I don't remember which version of Twill it was, but I'll have that linked in the show notes. Now, there's a new image viewer also included in this latest version of Fedora. It's called Loop. It's part of the GNOME uh, apps and it also is written in Rust, which means it has really high performance. And I haven't personally tried it, but I'm looking forward to it. It does have the fundamentals of an image viewer, but the high performance Rust thing sounds pretty interesting. So I wanna check that out. Also, there's new system details section in the about section, and as well as many more things related to GNOME. Links in the show notes for more details. Now let's talk about Fedora specifically. So they made a change to their bash prompt. They've added colors to it, which doesn't seem like a big deal, but I like it because it allows you to quickly and easily separate different pieces of a command line or of the terminal itself. And like, for example, the name of your account, the host name of your computer, and also the commands and operators of any given thing that you're doing. I like the fact that they have a colored approach now because it makes it easier to identify these things. Also, they've changed the fonts for the Indic, Indic script languages, and so it's now using Nota fonts. Uh, also, uh, modular repositories have been removed due to low usage, which makes sense. If they're not being used, why have them? But there is one thing that is being re removed that I'm kind of bummed about, and that is Adweta-Qt. Now, this is a theme that was designed, it's a cute theme that's designed to match GNOME's Adweta theme, I'm not sure if I'm saying it waited right, just for those who aren't curious about that, I, I, I don't know. But the theme has been outdated for a while because they introduced a package or library called libadweta, which changed quite a few things. Also, this theme has been known for causing some breakages on some applications due to the change with the libadweta. Now, this is a bummer for me because having cute applications look native in GNOME was really nice because for those who are not familiar, GNOME does not put any effort to make cute applications look good in their desktop. Whereas in contrast, KDE does do that. There are GTK-based themes 
for the Breeze themes that are available with KDE Plasma. So if you use KDE Plasma and you see GTK apps look nice, that's why. So it kind of creates this weird false misinformation of people thinking that Qt apps are inferior because on, G on GNOME-based systems, they don't look very good. They don't match the system, whereas GTK does match the system on KDE Plasma. But that's because KDE puts in effort for that and GNOME does not. So there you go. Now you know the information about why that happens. Anyway, there are many other things about the latest release of Fedora 39. And if you'd like to check out and learn any more information or download it and try it for yourself, you'll find links in the show notes. Canonical has announced a new developer preview for Ubuntu Core on the desktop. Now this is really cool. So first let's talk about what Ubuntu Core is. So Ubuntu Core is an immutable version of Ubuntu and it's made for IoT devices such as smart displays and you know Raspberry Pis and, and that sort of thing. It uses a read-only file system. That's what the immutable part is. And this gives you a lot of benefits. Uh, for example, updates are either applied in full or not at all. And also you could use snaps as well, because Snaps are basically the main package manager for the Ubuntu core system. Now, the benefits of immutability is it's more stable, it's consistent, so every system basically is the same because the immutability of the file system is consistent across all the installations. So you could have 50 versions of Ubuntu core and every update will effectively make the same file system. So even if you make some changes here and there, you're not meant to be changing the underlying core. You can change like the home folders and stuff like that, Whereas in regular systems, you never know, people might be changing their system files. So there's a lot of difference there. Also, depending on what applications you install, that itself changes the system files. So there's a lot of value in that having the same core base, because if you want to roll updates, it's really easy to do that. But there are some drawbacks to immutability. For example, it's kind of hard to customize, because if you can't change the core system, it makes some things more difficult to do. But it's that, depending on what your use case is, that might not be necessary. Now, for those who are not fans of Snaps, this is limited to Snaps for applications, and so that might be an issue for you. I think Snaps are totally fine, especially with the latest versions with like 23.10 of Ubuntu. A lot of the Snaps issues for the speed have been addressed, and Firefox Snap, for example, is much faster than it used to be. It's also important to note that this particular edition is not going to be replacing the desktop or the server version of Ubuntu, at least there's not yet anyway, but this is something that has been uh, very interesting for people who are wanting to get an immutable Ubuntu because immutability in Ubuntu has been possible, but only on the IoT side of things. So having a immutable desktop for Ubuntu sounds very interesting, and I'm looking forward to trying it out myself. Now, there are things that are going to be added in the future because right now this is a developer preview. So it's effectively an alpha release. There's not a lot of stuff in there that, you know, for everyone. So for example, if you need NVIDIA support, that's not going to be there. Also, the modularity to replace components such as the desktop environment and kernel, that's not available at the moment. Uh, also, various things such as uh, LXD containers. And there's also work to add .deb supports, which would be really good because it gives you more application availability. And I would be very much happy to see that, as well as many other things like Microsoft Active Directory, Ubuntu's landscape fleet management, and many more things are planned to be worked on, but are not currently available. So again, this is a developer preview. So if you'd like to learn more about the Ubuntu Core desktop, you will find links in the show notes. This week, Valve shocked everyone with a new Steam Deck. 
And not just a new Steam Deck, they actually answered one of the most frequently requested options, which is an OLED screen. So many people were wanting an OLED screen, and some people even were disappointed that the first Steam Deck didn't have one, so they chose not to get one. And the this new Steam Deck does have an OLED screen. So they have a 1280 by 800, which is the same resolution as before, but now has an HDR OLED display. It also has longer battery life with a 50 watt hour battery. They say that it has support for three to 12 hours of gameplay, depending on the content that you're playing. And it should charge faster and last up to 50% longer with this new battery, which is fantastic, especially considering it's a better display and it also has better battery life. That's awesome. They also added a new AMD APU, which means it's much faster and more efficient than the first generation of Steam Decks. Now, the, same, this, the processor is the same speed as the original Steam Deck, but some games will be running faster because of the faster APU. They've also upgraded the Wi-Fi, so it uses Wi-Fi 6E instead of Wi-Fi 5, and it, that means that there's faster downloads, which is always appreciated. And they've also improved the repairability of the Steam Deck with these new versions, and this means they have added the uh, there's metal threads for the screws instead of the plastic threads. They've also reduced the number of different types of screws, which means less tools are needed to do anything with it. And there's less glue on the back of the battery, so it is more easily replaceable. All of these are fantastic, but they didn't stop there. Valve also added a dedicated digital signal processor, or DSP, which takes the load of the APU for audio processing, resulting in better sound quality and haptics. And Valve didn't stop there because they also proved, you know, why they are such an awesome company with the pricing. Now, how did they do that? Well, they didn't really change the pricing. In fact, they kind of made it better in some of the additions, and they added some new options, which are more expensive, but there's a reason for that, so we'll get to that. The original 512 gigabyte version, which is the one I got, was a 549. I'm pretty sure it was 549 price. Now, the new version, the 512 with the OLED display, is the same $549, which is fantastic to see. But if you want to have the baseline, they actually made that even better. So the previous baseline of the Steam Deck was a 64 gigabyte version, and that was $399. The new baseline is now called the Steam Deck LCD, which is basically the same version of the Steam Deck's old first generation of screen, but they're not just doing the baseline 64, they've actually decided to take the 256 gig version and make that the new baseline for the same price of $399, which is actually a discount from the first generation because that was the mid-tier version of the first gen. In addition to all of this, they've also added a new version, which is the one terabyte OLED edition of the Steam Deck, and that gives you $649 price. Now, this is only $100 for effectively double the storage, and I think it is m very much worth it because I have the 512 gigabyte version, and now, as of the Ubuntu Summit, I have now maybe 40 gigs left. So I'm really happy to see that as an option because for anybody who wants to put a lot of games on there, more storage, the better. They also made an limited edition version where it's an extra $30 on top of the uh, one terabyte one. You get some extra you know, benefits, but they're not like big deal things. They're more of like a custom change, like color colorization changes, a translation case, which is pretty cool, uh, and that sort of thing. So that's $679. The Steam Deck OLED is available to pre-order on November 16th at 10 p.m. Pacific time. So... 
depending on what time zone you're in, it might be convenient, it might not. So good luck with that. But if you want to get one now, you can get the LCD version, the, the Steam Deck, which is the first gen, but you can get that at a reduced price of $399. So if you waited, you can still get a good deal by getting that 256 gig version. I personally would wait to get a bigger drive because I think it's worth it. I would also get the 649. That is definitely worth it. The one terabyte storage in the Steam Deck, that will go a long way. Plus, you also have the option to add a SD card, which makes it even more. So I would I would get all of that because that's a, definitely a good deal for just 100 bucks. But if you already have a Steam Deck, I personally don't know if it's worth upgrading because I have one and I don't really think it's that much of an upgrade. So I'll probably just hold off until the Steam Deck 2 whenever that comes out. But for those who do not have a Steam Deck, it is absolutely worth getting this one because the Steam Deck itself is fantastic. The games run great. It's a great form factor. I I'm pretty much love the entire process of having a Steam Deck. I think everyone who is a gamer should have one of those. Uh, but for those who don't have one yet, this one, very good option. And I kind of wish I waited so I could have that OLED screen. But I didn't wait. So maybe they wouldn't have even made the OLED screen if all the people who wanted it waited. So there's that. If you'd like to learn more or check out the uh, pre-orders options, you can find links in the show notes. This episode of Twill is brought to you by Linbit. Linbit has been keeping digital businesses running for over 20 years. They're the makers of open source products like DRBD, which is high availability software that has been part of the Linux kernel since 2010, and Linstore, industry-leading open source software-defined storage. Linbit has an active presence in the open source community as well because they collaborate with the community to help identify and build new features to their products. Linbit provides enterprise-grade software that runs on a variety of platforms without vendor lock-in, which is really cool because no matter what your OS is and no matter what kind of hardware you want to use, including off-the-shelf hardware, you're good to go with DRBD and Linstore. And also with DRBD and Linstore, you can have high-speed replicated block storage in almost any configuration, whether it's Kubernetes, Apache Cloud, or Open Nebula. There's even DRBD proxy for long-distance replication. Linbit provides really awesome services like DRBD, and DRBD is a really good way to make sure you have good data recovery and backups. And if you ever have like a cluster with multiple nodes and one of those nodes fails, you can have rest assurance that the backup nodes will have the data that you want. So if you're interested in checking out any of the software from Linbit, I highly recommend it. So go to linbit.com to check it out. That's L-I-N-B-I-T.com. KDE has announced that its alpha release of Plasma 6 is ready to go. So KDE Plasma 6.0 is a major release with a ton of new features being added, and we'll talk about that soon, but I wanted to let you know about it because you can try it out right now in the alpha stage. That does need to be clarified for those who are not familiar with that term. Alpha means that it is not ready by any stretch of the imagination. It does mean it's technically ready to be tested, but it's not ready for production use. So when a full release is made, like actually quickly, for those who are not familiar, it goes with development stage, alpha stage, beta stage, release candidate stage, and then release. And that is the basically the, the, the method of software releases. So this means that it's sort of ready to be tested, but not ready to be used. So keep that in mind. Now, 
There's a lot of stuff that I want to talk about. We don't have time for everything. When the full release happens, we will go into super depth of this particular thing because as a fan of KDE, of course we will. Uh, but let's talk about some of the highlights of the new version of Plasma 6. They're migrating from the Qt 5 toolkit to the Qt 6 toolkit, which is a big, big change. They're also defaulting to Wayland, which is another big change from Xorg. Uh, they're also going to have floating desktop panels, double-click by default. Yes! Now, for those who don't know, I have been trying to get that to be changed for a long time to see that actually change now. Fantastic. Also, return of the 3D desktop cube. We talked about that in a previous episode. Not a big deal necessarily, but I love the fact that it's coming back. Also, better flat pack support, redesigned task switcher, and so much more. So if you want to try out the alpha of Plasma 6, then you can check out the, the unstable edition of KDE Neon. And also, just real quick as a side note, KDE Neon is a fantastic project, but it is not meant for average users. It's not meant for everyday users. In fact, there's a frequently asked questions where it says, is this a distro? And they specifically state it is not a distro. So they only focus on the KDE stack part of KDE Neon, and the rest of it is an LTS version of Ubuntu. So for some people think that they it's basically a distro that is an LTS Ubuntu with a KDE rolling, and that's not exactly what it is. I guess technically speaking, that's what it is, but it's not really that same kind of thing where anybody can just get a distribution and expect it to run, expect it to go without issues. This is more for the fact of seeing what's new and what's coming out in KDE as fast as possible. And that's why KDE Neon is where you go get the alpha version of Plasma 6. So hopefully that it clears it up more. I might do a video about like the differences between KDE Neon and Kubuntu. If you're interested in that, let me know in the comments. The LXQt team has announced the latest release of their desktop with version 1.4. For those who are unfamiliar with LXQt, LXQt is a lightweight desktop designed for older computers or underpowered computers. It's designed to be modular and window manager agnostic. What that means is that you can basically swap out any of the window managers as you want and it would still function. Now, LXQt is a really cool desktop environment for those who have older computers, but it is not going to be the most powerful, the most modern and that sort of thing. So there might be other options for those if you're looking for that. But if you uh, care about the lightweight part, then it's a very, very good desktop for that because it's probably the best for the lightweight aspects. Now, this is the last release for this being based on Qt 5. So it is still based on Qt 5, but thanks to the work done by KDE Plasma, I assume because of the timing of this that the next version being Qt 6 would be likely thanks to the work done by KDE Plasma. I don't know that for, for sure, but there are packages that are shared between the two. So I think that that's really good, actually, because the collaboration is very important and one of the fundamental things of open source. So really cool to see that. Now let's talk about the changes in this release. It's a relatively minor release. Uh, for, for example, users can now add terminal commands to the file manager, which is really cool, but not a huge thing. Uh, the file manager can now remember credentials for mount dialogs. Also very cool. In fact, pretty important. Not a huge thing. Uh, QTerminal now has audible bell option, which is cool because you could activate that to let you know when processes have changed and that's our processes have finished and that sort of thing, which is very nice. Not a huge thing. And the image manager supports color spaces, which is also really nice and not a huge thing. But there's also lots of bug fixes and performance improvements and that sort of stuff. So there are quite a few things in this release. But like I said, 
relatively minor, but that's okay because the next release is likely going to be massive. So the one before that, you should expect it to be not so massive. So I'm looking forward to this version, trying it out, and also the next version because the Qt 6 will be very, very intriguing to try out. So if you'd like to learn more or try it out for yourself, you can actually try it out on the latest rolling releases because Arch and OpenSUSE Tumbleweed already have it. Uh, but for those who are checking out in the stable side, you'll probably have to wait a few months because Lubuntu, for example, 23.10 came out recently, but before the latest release of LXQt, so there's no way that would be able to be put in. So Lubuntu 24.4 is what you'll need to get for that. Maybe backports, maybe. We'll see about that. I'll let you know in a future episode if uh, that turns out to be true. Also, Fedora 40 is also another version that you'd be able to get it in. But uh, yeah, Fedora 39 just came out. So that's how it goes. <laughs> if you'd like to learn more, you can find links in the show notes. Back on the show is the CentOS Saga, the Keeping It Rail series. And that is the rail drama related to uh, things that were changing in Red Hat Enterprise Linux and CentOS and that sort of stuff. For those who haven't been keeping up with it, there's a lot of episodes about this on Twill. I might even make a video like categorizing and, you know, make, making a history of all of this. And, and let me know if you want to see that in the comments. But Open ELA is an organization that was formed by SUSE, Oracle, and CIQ, the people behind Rocky Linux, to basically, well, they say that their goal is to keep enterprise Linux source code available. And this was done after the previous change from RHEL. They didn't actually block their source code. They didn't close it or anything. And they didn't make it impossible to get to, but they did change it behind a terms of service sort of thing. So it kind of rubs some people the wrong way. It technically was not in violation of the GPL, but some people said that it was in violation of the spirit of the GPL. And that might be true, but the technical aspects of the GPL, it wasn't. So there you go. Now let's talk about what this is. So the Open ELA is an organization that is basically a lot of the clones of RHEL are coming together to create this organization to keep source code available. How they're doing it, I'm not totally sure yet. There's not a full detailed breakdown of how they're doing it just yet. And the way that each of these distributions do it are slightly different. So very curious to find out about that. Now, Open ELA is now incorporated as well as a Delaware nonprofit corporation. I'm not sure exactly what it's incorporated as because they're the announcement didn't really specify that, but there are some people talking about it's a 501c6. It is not that. It is in the process of applying to be that, but it currently is not. So just to clarify that. Now, the initial batch of the source code has been released, and that's why we're talking about it on the show. It's now available on their GitHub organization. The source code is enough to be able to spin up a base for an enterprise Linux distro and you know that sort of thing. So if you wanted to make a clone of RHEL, another one for some reason, then you can do so with this source code. And uh, yeah, let me know what you think about the drama and all this stuff with RHEL. And as also, if you would like for me to provide a video that goes into more details about the history of CentOS and RHEL and all of that sort of stuff, as well as the drama, because I think it's really interesting, but there's a lot of it. So if people don't want me to do that, I'm not going to put in that much effort because there's, there's a ton. This would take a while. But if people want it, let me know. If you'd like to learn more about this news, you'll find links in the show notes. 
The Asahi Linux project recently helped discover a bug causing boot failures for macOS Sonoma. So this was really interesting because the Asahi Linux project at first suspected it'd be related to Asahi Linux because of the reports of boot failures from users. But it turned out to be completely unrelated to Asahi Linux and actually affected macOS entirely. So all macOS users who upgraded to Sonoma had an out-of-date or broken system recovery and some Macs were unbootable entirely, which is not good for Apple or any of the users who have those products. So this bug was causing it to be unbootable, it turned out to be uh, happening on refresh rates other than ProMotion on certain Mac models. The Asahi installer has been tweaked to prevent this bug, and macOS Ventura 13.6.2 has been released with a fix, but this isn't really a fix for uh, multi-boot users. Now, uh, Apple is going to be addressing this with a future version with macOS Sonoma 14.2, but uh, not everything has been addressed yet. But this is also a very complicated issue. So if you'd like to learn more about this or if this affects you, if you also have Mac, then you can find links in the show notes for more information. And if you're just curious about the Asahi Linux talk at Ubuntu Summit, which I attended, uh, there will be some talks coming out soon for the Ubuntu Summit. I'm not sure exactly when, but relatively soon. So I'll have that linked in the show notes when it does. But if you want to learn more about Asahi Linux in general, you'll find links to all of these in the show notes. UbiPorts has released Ubuntu Touch 20.04 OTA-3, OTA meaning over the air. This is an update for the Ubuntu Touch 20.04, and this is the first version of the Ubuntu Touch 20.04 to support PinePhone products like the PinePhone, PinePhone Pro, PineTab, PineTab 2, and etc. So this is really cool. Some other features include Snap support, which is nice to see, uh, searching in the Messages app, uh, switches to the APN provider to Lineage OS, APN DB, providing more support for data and MMS, which is really good because this means that if you basically APN, for those who don't know, it's the way that you connect your phone to the service provider or the internet service provider slash carrier. Uh, that's very important. Also improved copying and pasting between apps, redesigned settings app, improved Wayland support for Android apps, USB tethering on supported devices, and many, many more things. If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Ubuntu Touch, you'll find links in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of the GIMP image manipulation program. So this is release of 2.10.36 version. Now this is a minor release as most GIMP releases have been for the past 15 years, but there are some cool things that I wanted to talk about. And this also might be the second to last release before GIMP 3.0 comes out, which was stated in the blog post of the announcement. So that is very interesting because if they think that they're that close, I can't wait to try out the new version. But we're still waiting for now. So let's talk about the latest release, or 2.10.36. One of the features they added was ASE and ACP color palette support. ASE is Adobe Swatch Exchange, and ACB is Adobe ColorBook. So very nice to see that. New foreground to transparent hard edge gradient system is now available, which is pretty cool because it gives you a lot, a lot of options to create some new patterns and that sort of thing. Also, the non-square ratio support for GIFs has been done. So GIMP now can load GIFs imaging containing the pixel aspect ratio header metadata by setting different resolutions per dimension. So this means that it's possible to have GIFs that are no longer just to be square. So that's good. Also, there's been bug fixes and various improvements and that sort of stuff. 
So if you'd like to learn more about the latest release of GIMP, you'll, conf- you'll find links in the show notes. Now, I can't wait for, no- for GIMP 3.0 to come out, but also I hope that the 3.0 comes with a name change because GIMP needs it. It's been over 25 years and it's a terrible name at the, fir- at the start and now, so please change it. This is a pretty complicated and actually controversial topic, so I won't go into it much more depth than that. But if you'd like to learn more about it, and if you would like me to make a video about this, let me know in the comments because this is a very complicated topic. The project has a lot of potential. It's been around for a very long time, but in my opinion, that name has just held it back drastically. If you'd like to learn more about this, let me know in the comments and I'll make a more in-depth video about the project itself and why it should change its name. And if you want to yell at me, well, there's also comments for that too. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show and want to be kept up to date with what's going on in the Linux and open source world, then be sure to subscribe. And of course, remember to like that smash button. If you'd like to support the show and the Tux Digital Network, then consider becoming a patron by going to tuxdigital.com membership where you can get a bunch of cool perks like access to the patron-only sections of our Discord server and much, much more. You can also support the show by going to tuxdigital.com store and ordering one of our awesome pieces of swag. We have, for example, the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt that I'm wearing right now. Plus, we have uh, hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, and so much more at tuxdigital.com store. I'll see you next time for another episode of Your Source for Linux Canoes. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell. I hope you're doing swell. Be sure to ring that notification bell. And until next time, I bid you farewell. Also, be sure to check out the vlogs that I made for Ubuntu Summit. They're really fun. There's actually three up right now. Two more are coming. So yeah, check those out. There's also a playlist for it. So you can just check out the playlist when they're all done or as they're done. It's up to you. See you next time.